Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Promise, a podcast about healthcare that delivers on our promise to know you, care for you, and ease your way. On this podcast, we will talk with healthcare professionals and hear stories of compassion to help you navigate the world of healthcare with care, dignity, and humanity. I'm your host, Nancy Jordan, Chief Mission Integration Leader, and here with me today is Celine Regalia, Director of Operations for Calabria Care. On today's episode of The Promise, we are talking about Alzheimer's disease, the most common form of dementia. We want to help educate you about this disease and provide thoughtful advice for anyone who cares for or loves someone with Alzheimer's. Welcome, Celine. I am really looking forward to our conversation on this important topic today. Well, thank you, Nancy. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at Calabria Care. Well, as you mentioned, um, I'm the Director of Operations. We're located here in, in Napa, California. I've been with the organization for 25 years. I started out as a social worker in our adult day healthcare program, became the program director. Uh, we've been an Alzheimer's daycare resource center since 1999. And so I've, I've, I've been in this organization and, and seen us grow and evolve to support caregivers in many different ways. Can you define Alzheimer's for our listeners so that they can better understand what it is or what it isn't? Yeah, I think that people get a lot of uh, mixed in information. So I'll hear from caregivers oftentimes, oh, my mom has dementia, but it's not but it's not Alzheimer's. And what people don't understand is that even though dementia is a, a medical diagnosis in the medical field, it really is just an umbrella term. And there are many, many different kinds of dementia. So it's really, from a caregiver perspective, it's really, really too important um, to understand what it is and what it isn't. And so um, Alzheimer's disease is the most form, uh, the most common type of dementia. And so a lot of the people that we see that come to our day program have Alzheimer's type, but we have people in our program with Lewy bodies type, Parkinson's related dementia. So it's really, really important to understand and get that diagnosis and work closely with your primary care. And I think the other thing, there's a lot of ageism still out there. And I think it's really, really important to understand that dementia, any type of dementia, is not a normal part of aging. There are some reversible forms, uh, su such as if you had a B12 deficiency or undetected thyroid disease, it, but, but it really needs to be uh, treated and, and, and diagnosed um, by a neurologist or primary care, and there's kind of best practices on what that assessment process looks like for somebody that is experiencing uh, potential memory loss. Gosh, there is so much to sort out here with this, Celine, and it's it's really helpful to have you sort of um, spend the time with us to to give us the definition, and then we're going to get into a little bit of what those possible steps are that loved ones can take if they notice things that are maybe just a little out of the ordinary or don't fall within what you just described as the typical aging process. I think yeah. there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, you know, in preparing for today, um, it. it I realized, and I was reflecting on how Calabria Care, your team, has 
actually helped with all four of my parents. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> my my in-laws, as well as my own parents. And um, two of those four had suffered from Alzheimer's or one is suffering and one is um, has passed. Um, and it has been such a gift to be the recipient of such compassionate care um, from a team who really understands um, what the journey is like. Um, can you help me um, understand, help our listeners understand what kinds of services and resources are offered to people with, um, with Alzheimer's um, and their family members? Well, I mean, it's, it, it is one of those things that we find that when, by, when families come to us that they've been on this journey kind of in the dark. And um, there's a statistic that the Alzheimer's Association has that only 45% of doctors actually tell them of the diagnosis because it is a progressive degenerative um, you know, illness. And so families are navigating. So that was my experience. When we first started our day program and we specialized in caring for people with more moderate to advanced stages of the illness, by the time that they got to our day program, um, families had waited so long to get help in, in navigating that journey that they, they placed their loved ones and our services and our day program are meant to give caregivers respite, um, to give them counseling and support. Because in caring for somebody with Alzheimer's disease or any other related dementia, it's just as important that we wrap the care around not only the person with the diagnosis, but the family caregiver. Because oftentimes they uh, suffer from depression and their own health and wellness um, goes because of the, the stress and the stress of caregiving. So in our program, and so we have you know our palliative care program for people with more serious illness. Our hospice program is somebody in that in, with the illnesses at the end of life. But then we went further upstream in our services and started an early stage program called Mind Boosters because we really wanted to get people at the very, very early stage or myocognitive impairment to know that they weren't alone, to give them caregiver support, to give the person with the diagnosis um, a community of people that would understand what they were going through. And that really, um, that social isolation and, and community connection is a really important part of the process because many caregivers and the people with the diagnosis go this journey alone and they become isolated from their families, they become isolated with their friends. And so all of our programs and services are about putting you know, an expert team around them, but also um, keeping them connected to community. Tell me a little bit more about that Mind Boosters program. And, sure. and how you go about an early uh, sort of uh, identification of, of someone who may be struggling with with onset or, you know, impairment. So we first, um, we have our social workers first do a, a memory screening. So we can't diagnose at our program because we're not doctors, but we uh, do a memory screening. And with that memory screening, we can tell, uh, you know, might they be in the very early stages of the illness? And we also talk with them and ask them a lot of questions. So the kind of questions we're looking at and with families, we often say with Alzheimer's disease that when families start recognizing it, it's kind of insidious. And when they look back, they start saying, oh yeah, I noticed that mom did something a little odd and different here, or this wasn't happening, or, you know, started having problems with the checkbook. So we really look at, is anything different in their the things that they normally would be able to do we call that activities of daily living and then are they having problems now managing their finances or things or uh driving is a big one you know everybody said well i've been driving since i've been you know 14 years old but but driving requires a lot of um 
skills and problem solving and executive functioning. So that's an, another different one. So we we developed mind boosters, like I said, to get to people with early stage. And so we do the memory screening. If they fall within the mild cognitive impairment or early uh, early stages, then we enroll them in the mind boosters program. We have a facilitator. We do what, um, based on science, the, the domains of brain health. So the, what's really important for all of our brain wellness is that we are socially engaged and connected. We have you know, meaning and purpose in our life. We exercise. Exercise is the number one thing that we can do for our brain health. We teach them about healthy eating and you know the Mediterranean diet or the style, and, and that's really good for me because I'm 100% Italian. That I, my, <laughs> I'm glad that it's already ingrained in my culture to be eating that way. Um, but we we teach them those aspects, and we try to incorporate those domains of brain health into the program of Mind Boosters, and then we also educate the family caregivers. And when we first uh, started Mind Boosters, we had a, a, a gentleman in our program that um, had been in it for five years. And then the class got a little too hard for him and he started getting really frustrated and annoyed and thought, you know, all these questions are stupid now with things that he used to really, really enjoy and be able to participate in. And at that point, when we did another memory screening, it really showed that he was no longer really in the early stage, he was more in the mid stage. And so we transitioned him into the day program. And then his wife started participating in support groups and she was getting respite and he was getting social, you know, um, social programs that still emphasized all of those important things, physical activity and social engagement. And um, but that it just shifted what his needs were. And so we, we say a lot in our field, it's about providing the right care at the right time and understanding. But when you're a family caregiver, it's right in front of you. You don't you don't see it. I, I took care of my mom with Parkinson's disease. And I remember looking at a picture of her after she passed. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how frail she looked, how, how different she looked, because you just you know, you love your loved one and you want them to be who they are and and, and keep them keep the things. But it's you know, the progression of Alzheimer's disease, um, it can last a long time, anywhere from, you know, two to 20 years. And so we've had participants in our program that have lived with it that long. And so it can be a long road for the family to navigate those changes. And at our organization, we help the, we just try to educate and help the family understand where they are in the stages of the illness so that they can provide the right support and know the communication strategies or how to adapt the home environment. There's many, many um, layers to it that families just aren't equipped to, to know. Um, so it's lots of education and it's lots of compassion and it's lots of listening and and encouraging people to get support and not to do this journey by themselves. Oh, so many key points of wisdom here, Celine. Um, this whole idea of meeting uh, the family, meeting the, the the patient where they are. I mean, it's just so uh, beautiful to see that your resources um, and your service meets them where they are in this, this progression of this disease that actually could be very long, could be very short um, and, and could progress very quickly. You know, I mean, it, it's just really, there's so much there. Um, I really value how you talk about 
looking upstream and how you had originally started with sort of one set of resources and then you sort of built upon um, the offerings based on, you know, what you've come to know, your team has come to know and understand about Alzheimer's. Um, I'm wondering, uh, as we're thinking, you know, we've, we've mentioned the family and the family is so critical as you've shared in this. Uh, I, Let's say I, and this is this is true. I am yeah. I'm, I'm a busy mom. I'm raising my kids. My kids are they're adulting. I've got yeah. um, my aging parents, and you make such a good point about how it happens right before your eyes, and you may not know. So going upstream, even before mind boosters, how am I going to know? What am I going to see in my dad, for example? What's he going to do that's going to that I may just chalk it up as oh, I shouldn't be concerned about that. And then once. I do see the warning signs that you're hopefully going to share with me. Yeah. Um, I then what do I do? I, I I say, Dad, guess what? We're going to the doctor. I mean, tell me what might I do? Yeah. So I mean, I think one of the things that we come across. So families are, you know, memory is not always the number one thing, but it often is when it's Alzheimer's disease or. It might be that they are losing interest in things that used to give them pleasure. And so they're withdrawing. And there again, there's lots of reasons why that happens as we age. Um, there, there actually is a lot of research now in hearing loss and dementia. And so we, we really want to make sure that all the parts of wellness, you know, your eyes, your ears, all the things, we use all of our senses to remember. So it's really, really important that you you know, get an annual physic, physical that you get your eyes checked, your hearing checked. And so, you know, we think, well, we, they can't hear. So that's not why they're connecting. But it could be other reasons why that they're they're not connecting or communicating anymore. Um, looking at just like I said, activities of daily living, are there things that now you're seeing that they used to be able to do and they're not so great at doing it anymore? And so any subtle changes like that are, are really, really important. And so now um, Medicare is actually paying for um, the Alzheimer's Association that has advocated for, so um, physicians are getting reimbursed for doing a more comprehensive assessment of cognition. And so that should be part of any annual wellness exam. And there is what we call early onset. So, you know, people uh, under the age of 65 that have dementia are, it's considered early onset. Mm. So, I mean, I think that it's just, you know, diet, nutrition, just making sure that their health and for men, sometimes a real challenge, um, you know, and this has evolved over time, but for, for my parents' generation, you know, the, the great generation, uh, retirement was a big, um, it was really, really hard because they were, you know, work was the purpose. And I think we've evolved a lot, you know, in the different generations, but just really can, is a person still doing what they like to do? And then it's also really important to, because um, what, what's called a pseudo dementia, excuse my clinical term, but um, people with severe depression, it can look like dementia. So it's really important um, to assess for depression and do all the rule outs to make sure that they're not that there's not something else medically going on with the person. Mm -hmm. 
so as I'm hearing you, I'm I'm and describing these sort of initial upstream steps. I'm thinking not just about my parents, but maybe I'm thinking about myself as well. Yeah. So you know, as we sort of you know get to I, I guess any age, we can be you know the importance of caring for our whole selves, our mind, our body, our spirit um, is critical, and and you're affirming that. Um, but I I think there's a very very much a, a real uh, thought thought about um, as we're caring and watching for our, our relatives and our loved ones, and we kind of think, well, they're they're older, da, 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 whatever that might yeah. be. But, you know, gosh, these are good reminders for us as well. Staying, yeah. you know, physical, you know, making sure your your brain is constantly, you know, being challenged and and you're engaging in things that you love. Um, yeah, our and, brain. And um, so we actually go very far upstream. Uh, my wife is a teacher and we do um, intergenerational programming with her class and we taught them about brain health um, at her high school. Like what can you do at a young age to prime your brain, you know, for good brain health? And so we, we teach that. We teach that in the community. We teach that with, um, with communities where they're at higher risk, like the Latino population or African-American population, they're at higher risk. And some of it's related to health equity issues of accessing care and being able to get to your care. But we also say whatever's, you know, whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain. So if you're concentrating on good heart health, then you're then most likely you're also impacting your brain health positively as well. You're really speaking to the importance of the village and this concept that we are really in this life journey together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, our promise, uh, one of our foundational statements, our driving statements in the Providence Health System is to know, care and ease the way. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what your team is doing, what you're doing and what you're doing even in your own family. And um, and what we really kind of have an obligation to is just as part of the human race to, yes. to really support each other, be on the lookout for each other. Yes. Um, Celine, you mentioned a couple of stories or situations. Um, one was about the gentleman who had initially started um, with the program and was able to achieve a certain level. And then as he's, his disease progressed, some of those abilities um, went away. And you also mentioned caring for your mother with with Parkinson's. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the stories and um, the importance of stories. And, you know, it is very, when I start thinking about this and hearing what you're saying, and I, I start to, in all honesty, get a little like <laughs> queasy, like, oh my gosh, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no, it's a, just a perfectly <laughs> natural response because it's such kind of a scary topic. And it's kind of a, a scary when you think about all the aspects of it. And so um, I, I want to, I'm wondering if, and I, I'm guessing this is for sure that you have some stories of, of um, sort of maybe, maybe hope or light. And I, one came to my mind again, as I mentioned, you know, Calabria has been a part of our, of our family. Um, and, and I'm thinking about particularly the journey that we went through with my mother-in-law who passed away two years ago. Um, and um, so I wanted to share that with you and then, you know, just I'll invite you to also share any sort of stories about some sort of light or positivity or anything in there um, in order to help our listeners um, 
know that there there is still presence and and human connection and compassion um, with the loved ones. That, that um, so let me just tell you the story as right. I as I ramble on and on. So my mother in law, we called her Nana. She was fully in the throes of Alzheimer's, and uh, she spent her days really sort of wandering around um, the home. She remained in the home with my father-in-law till the end. Um, and she, her personal care needs were completely um, cared for. My, my father-in-law had to care for her. Uh, and she, you know, she really was not connected with uh, reality. I mean, she really, really, um, she was fine. I mean, we were sort of um, suffering much more than she was. She was very, very content. Um, but one evening we were over at the house and my, my son was going through a devastating breakup with his, his college girlfriend <laughs> and was so, so sad and crying. And, and so we assumed my mother-in-law would have no understanding of this. And, and really we're sort of trying to just keep her sort of, you know, kind of a, a little bit away, but in a kind way because he had to process. And, and there was a pause. There was a moment where she turned around, she looked at him, she walked right over to him. She recognized the, the devastation in his eyes. And she just reached out and pulled him in and just hugged him. And she just held on to him. Yeah, and he will forever thing. remember that moment that yeah. Nana broke through the Alzheimer's. And they just stood there and hugged for, it must have been a minute or two. So I, do you so have I, stories there, like that? I do. Um, I have my personal story with my mom, which I will share. But one of the things, I mean, I do not have a depressing job. So I work with people with a, you know, dementia. Every day I see them and I have great joy um, because it's really about being in the moment and meeting them where they're at. Yeah, the reality may have changed, but what you just described, we always we have the saying that Alzheimer's is a disease of emotion. And one of the things, the human spirit can connect at the emotional level, regardless of if the words are there anymore. And so we have lots of moments of those kind of profound connections with with people in our program. Yesterday, we had a woman who was, you know, outside and she's pretty you know, she was pretty feisty. She was, you know, she was wanting to go and she was wanting to go. And one of my caregivers was out there with her and I came outside and I had just met her at lunch the other day and she's beautiful and she has this winning smile. And I came up to her and I just kind of shimmied and danced. And then she starts breaking out in all of these moves and we were just dancing out in the backyard. Um, with my mom, you know, if I would have tested her on memory screening, she tested pretty high, but there was an interesting that thing happened in her Parkinson's disease where she would, because of one of the medications that she was on, she would have these vivid dreams, vivid, vivid dreams. And then, and sometimes they would scare her and she, we had this little call bell and she would punch the bell and I come in and she'd tell me, you know, what it was. And then the next morning I would ask her and I would say, mom, who was Mr. So-and-so? And she's like, oh, that was, I used to babysit for them in San Francisco. And it was, a, it, he, he sold me my first car. So I got to uh, get pieces of my mom's life story and history that I didn't know. And at one point when she was close to transitioning, <laughs> we would be sitting on the couch because we're, you know, Italian. So having food, sitting on the couch. You know, <laughs> Eating that Italian Mediterranean diet. Exactly. And we adapted. That was joyful, too, because my yes. mom, you know, I didn't cook until later in life and enjoyed or appreciate what my mom and dad could have taught me. And then my mom and I cooked as a tradition. So 
you know, we adapted it and I'd have her, you know, sit at the stove with me with her wheelchair. And she'd tell me like, she always thought I put too much spice and stuff. So she would tell me too much salt, too much pepper, <laughs> you know, she, but she still was supporting and we just adapted, um, you know, so that she could still participate in cooking. And one, you know, one day we were sitting on the couch and she's and my, my, uh, her mom, I called her my, my Nana. She's like, Celine, you know, it, did you feed Nana? Is Nana okay? And like, I, it gave me some peace because I like, I knew my, my Nana was uh, present or mm. supporting my mom and some, and I, you know, I don't didn't necessarily believe in any of that, but just kind of experiencing some of those things. And so, and then another time, just kind of like what you were describing with her, uh, a lot of things were going on. You know, the state was about ready to eliminate our adult day health care as a benefit you know, a lot of stress was in our house and my mom just like tuned in and she's like, is everything okay? Everything's going to be okay. And she was my mom, like right there being like emotionally present, like I was used to her being and I was no longer the caregiver. I was the daughter again. And my mom was providing that comfort and care. So there's, there's lots of moments um, and ways. And part of what you were talking about earlier, one of the things that is really, really important for us in caring for the people that we care for is really knowing their, their lives and their values and what mattered to them and knowing their life story. And then that's how we relate to them by knowing that not knowing them as a diagnosis, not taking, uh, you know, the person is first, not the diagnosis. And in my, in my philosophy, you really it, it is, it can be a devastating and is a devastating diagnosis, but you can't take the person, you can't take that life um, well lived or lived, you can't take that away from somebody. And so there's still moments to live, um, no matter what's going on for the person, it, it, it starts becoming about quality of life and what matters most and what can, what can they still do rather than focusing on what they can't do. Oh, Celine, thank you so much for sharing um, the story. I have a, a picture of your of your mother and um, <laughs> and what she was experiencing in those um, in those glimpses that, that were kind of a gift to you to be yeah. to be able to provide some assurance to you. And I think that's that's good advice for us um, is to is to grab onto those moments. Um, I, I, I thought of something. Uh, sometimes people will try to right fight or win against. Mm -hmm. A, a patient with Alzheimer's, meaning they'll want to correct them. Yes. Um, and I have, someone gave me some advice. I'm going to ask you if, if this is good advice. Someone said, um, managing or dealing with Alzheimer's is like playing a game of improv. Really, if someone yes. says to you, my my mom um, wants me to, you know, make her chocolate chip cookies, and we know that that mother has passed, um, you know, this is a, a patient, that mother has passed, you know, 40 years ago, rather than arguing with them and saying, your mom actually died, you know, 40 years ago, we just go, <laughs> great. I look forward to the cookies. So just really responding to where they are. Is that, is that, would you recommend? No, very, we always say that when you've met one person with Alzheimer's disease, you've met one person with Alzheimer's mm -hmm. disease. Mm -hmm. And number two, you never argue um, because mm -hmm. you really have to, we're the ones who have to adapt because there is a brain disease going on for that person. They're not doing it on purpose. We, we often have to tell caregivers, you know, don't say, don't, you know, do you remember, you know, don't say things yes. like that. You know, Good reminder. Don't, don't put them on the test um, because they, they may not remember but yeah, your example. So that's that's one way where we use like reminiscence. So if if they're, if, 
back in the old, you know, when I practiced as a speech pathologist 30 years ago, it was awful because we would do what was called reality orientation and say, no, your mom's dead. And it was horrible to redo that over and over again as they were talking about their mother. And so, you know, then that there's some emotional response. It could be the mother itself, or it could be the feeling of mom of comfort and care. There's lots of things metaphorically that, that, that can represent, but yes, your, your response is perfect. Or it's like, tell me your mom and why were her chocolate chip cookies so mm-hmm. good? You know, like yeah. just get into the conversation and, and that really is beautiful. I've had lots of moments and people say, well, you're, you're lying. It's like, no, I'm just meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. That's where their brain is, or they're in the past because it's like playing, you know, the, the long past memories are the things that they can relate to. And so you can have a lot of beautiful moments getting to know people from the past that were important to them. I, I had this one caregiver and her mother, oh my God, she was so, she was so much fun. And in her advanced dementia, she would tell all these stories and the daughter learned like the skeletons in the family closet. She'd learned things about her mother that she had never, ever known about because her mother had never told her these stories. So she got a real insight into her mom that she didn't have before. And she was very grateful for that. Wow. It's just those little gifts. We have to just really be on the lookout for them through yeah. through our own, you know, concern and worry and and just the, you know, kind of all the details that go along with caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's. We are almost at the end of our time. I can't believe it. Um, I do have one final question for you. And that's related to um, what happens when we, when, when we get to the end of our own abilities to care for um, our loved one with Alzheimer's, perhaps they are living in the home. Um, There's that difficult moment that sometimes comes where we have to move to a care facility, for example. And there's a lot of guilt around that. What recommendations would you have for family members faced with that decision and how do they know that it's time? Yeah, I think when it when um, the the caregivers wellness is is starting to go downhill, their own health and wellness, that that can be the time when it becomes so stressful that, you know, there's no positive interactions. It's hard on the person with a diagnosis. It's hard on the person with the caregiver. And it, it's too much. I mean, it's, it is a hard, it is a hard job to care for someone 24 seven. And so, um, you know, it, the, the day program is a first start of getting, a, you know, some respite. Um, then sometimes people are able to afford in-home care. But when people really get to that point of considering placement, we really, and there is guilt that comes with that because people either feel like they have to do it all or that they're giving up or they're being um, disloyal or they told their loved one that they would never place them. But there's a there's a reality. And I I don't I won't, probably don't have time for this story, but it's a really powerful story. But we just educate them that if you know, allow the care to go to a place for people who are, you know, have the ability and the skill to provide this care. And you get to be in relationship again with your loved one, you get to be the husband again, you get to be Mm. the son again, you get to be the daughter again. And let somebody else do that so that you can find the joy in the relationship again. And, 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 you know, provide quality, you know, have quality of life and quality time with one another. If I can tell this quick story. Please, yeah. please, Celine, do. Yes. Okay. Um, so we had a, a gentleman in our program who was, you know, he was a psychologist. And so, he, you know, very aware. And he was, um, he had 
um, the ge genetic form of the illness. And so it had hit three generations and he was in his fifties when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I was young, new in this, you know, pretty new in this field and had never met somebody that young with um, an Alzheimer's diagnosis. And the progression goes a lot, a lot faster. And so he, he and his wife had young children and he, in the you know early parts of the illness, he was able to to articulate to her that it was it it was really important to him that his illness not disrupt their family life. And when it became hard and difficult on her and on the children, that he wanted her um, to place him in a facility. Mm. So a couple years go by, you know, his illness is progressing on a quicker trajectory. And at that point, he doesn't have that same awareness in mind um, because his, his illness has, has, has advanced. And it was still hard for his wife to place him in a facility. But because of that early conversation, she felt like she <clears throat> had permission to, to do that. And, know, and that just made a really important you know, crystal in my mind about conversations, early conversations, even if you don't have a diagnosis, we should all be having those conversations mm -hmm. about with our families about what's important, what's going to matter most in case something does happen. You know, something can happen to us at any moment in time. So it's really important to have people know what we want and what our wishes for if, if, if the inevitable happens. Oh, Celine. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, and you brought forward so many learnings uh, today and perhaps um, some reminders. I mean, we, we, we've all kind of got a little bit of exposure to um, memory issues and what, the, you know, what that experience might be like, um, something we've heard about, we've seen on TV, we've seen movies or in our own family. So you have provided uh, a real um, detail of, of all of the many factors that, that go into this experience. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And pleasure. thank you to our listeners for joining us today on The Promise. We look forward to sharing more stories of compassion and caring with you in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. Please note that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And at Providence, we see the life in you.